George Lucas grew up a huge fan of comic books. Indeed, it was comic books and comic art that were a major inspiration for Star Wars. Star Wars then produced this vast body of incredible art. You know, the thing I love about Star Wars is that the story has got a real balance of good versus evil. And then you have these characters that are in the in-betweens of these two extremes. So drawing characters in the Star Wars universe is a real joy for an artist to work in because you can touch on so many artistic elements. It's a very liberating universe to work in. There's a common thread in George's taste in art, which is that a lot of art, when it's originally created, is considered disposable. Actually, in retrospect, is regarded as fine art. And comics fit very much into that mold. I started collecting when I was really in film school. You know, I started out by collecting comic art. I bought an Uncle Scrooge comic page for like $25. At one point, uh, I wanted to become an illustrator. Um, my father said, no way, I'm going to pay for that. You can go do it on your own if you want, but you'll never make a living as an artist. Says Jason. And it's Gabe. There's so much stuff going on. A lot of Star Wars happening. It never stops. I made the mistake of trying to go on vacation this week and I was in the woods with no internet <laughs> and all of a sudden there's what? Leaked toy commercials and Snoke pictures and all <laughs> kinds of craziness happening and I missed a lot of it. <laughs> you overhear two raccoons in the forest talking about the Obi-Wan movie. What? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, so later we're going to be talking about Star Wars Tales comics. You heard some comics talk in the little opening there. But all the hot talk last week was this Obi-Wan Kenobi movie stuff. Relax. Take a deep breath. Yeah, what, there's somewhat official rumors that people are talking about maybe, <laughs> if they want to, kind of doing a Han Solo, or Han Solo, an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. Yeah, so like, was it last week, The Hollywood Reporter, and then Variety, and everybody backed it up that Lucasfilm is in early discussions to do an Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone movie that'd be probably the third standalone movie. And they're in also in early talks with this guy Stephen Daldry to direct it and maybe write it. I didn't. I, I was trying to tell if, if he was handling screenplay duties too. I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed like they were just saying he was a writer and director, and they weren't specifically saying yet if he would do both. Right? Yeah. Maybe. No cast announced, although I think every single article had a picture of Ewan McGregor. I would think Ewan McGregor would be in it, probably. <laughs> that would really be something if it was like Lucasfilm makes the announcement and it's like, yep, we're going to make an Obi-Wan movie, but Obi-Wan will be played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. 
Well, that wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> I could I could be on board with that. If they're gonna, you know, if they're gonna recast, at least go with someone with the range. We might have a little bit of a blast point scoop here. Exclusive news that you're only gonna hear on blast points that we got from our our sources, our multiple sources that I will be playing Obi Wan Kenobi in <laughs> Stephen Daldry's yeah. upcoming. Star Wars spinoff. But you're only going to be like his internal dialogue, right? Like whenever there's voiceover and he's thinking things, it'll be your your voice. That's very interesting. <laughs> what a beautiful day in Tatooine it is today. I think I'll go for a walk outside. Maybe it'll be a musical. You can do all the singing. Ewan will do all the dialogue and you'll do all the singing. <laughs> the Jundan Waste. It's a beautiful place. It's interesting, Stephen Daldry, he's a very dramatic director. You know, he did stuff like um, The Hours, The Reader, things I'm sure every Star Wars fan has in their Blu-ray collection. But well, and didn't, didn't he do Billy Elliot, which is a musical? He did Billy Elliot. So I think we're looking at a uh, Obi-Wan musical here. And there's still the whole Obi-Wan and Satine from Moulin Rouge. Your fantastic theory that that's... Obi-Wan's dream. Yeah, that that happens between episode one and two. So why not make this a sequel to Moulin Rouge starring (laughs) Obi-Wan, you know, and he's just remembering his time with young Satine before she was a duchess. Sounds good to me. If the movie did, like if Ewan McGregor is going to make an Obi-Wan movie and if they do like mention Satine somewhere in the movie, that would be really cool. If you're going to bring Saw Gerrera into Rogue One, then why not? Yeah, and they can have uh, Nicole Kidman play her in the flashback. I don't know. I, I, it's hard. I try not to get too excited, but we're pretty sure they were going to make an Obi-Wan movie at some point. But it's cool to see that it may be happening sooner than later. But, man, I was thinking since they have, he has seemed like more of a, a dramatic director that if they just went super drama with it. But it was just Ewan McGregor and then every other character was just an alien so it's just like all about you and McGregor acting and then just aliens. As awesome as like the thought of an Obi-Wan movie would be, I mean, there was the great book Kenobi by John Jackson Miller, but it's like, well, he can't leave Tatooine or he shouldn't. I don't think he should, his character. So what do you do in a Kenobi movie, you know, without him leaving Tatooine? And I, I was reading some people talking about like, well, who would be the villain? And it's like, well... Does it need a villain? And is the hiring of this guy, Stephen Daldry, or potential hiring of this guy, is that kind of given a clue that this is this could be a very dramatic, very different kind of Star Wars movie without a main villain, like a Krennic-type character or something? Yeah. Well, it's like I kept thinking about that. Was it that Tom Hardy movie where he's just like driving a car and talking on the phone and that's like the whole movie? It's, you know, maybe it's like that where it's just Obi-Wan in his hut talking to himself for two hours and somehow they make a movie out of that. I don't know. You guys said you wanted the movie. <laughs> you said you wanted it. This is what you get. I would be so into that though. But they mean there could be flashbacks because I think an advantage of doing it now versus later is Ewan McGregor's young enough to play past Obi-Wan and future Obi-Wan potentially. It's not like he's in his sixties now and they wouldn't be able to have him play a younger version of himself. Just imagine if he's sitting in his hut in a scene in the movie and we hear a Qui-Gon voice. There is always hope, my friend. Though it often comes in forms not looked for. The key is knowing how to see it and seizing that opportunity. I have been tasked with guiding you forward. (laughs) Do Senator Kelly again and just turn into water. (laughs) I would disappear and reappear in like colonial garb. Like, what year is it? That's all it takes. Little little Qui-Gon goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, because what else would it be, right? He's got to be talking to Qui-Gon, mm. maybe talking to Yoda, mm-hmm. watching little Luke. You know it. You know they would have a little Luke in there. You know they would. And I like that, like, a couple weeks ago, Mark Hamill was just like, they'll never make an Obi or a Luke Skywalker movie. It's boring. It's Luke on the farm. It's like, no. <laughs> I think they already, Doug Chang has done a drawing of little luke somewhere and remember what was it not too long ago um young uncle owen joel egerton he was talking about how he wanted to 
he was ready to go back and he wanted them to make the movie about Obi-Wan and him teaming up to go <laughs> rough some people up or something. Yeah, you got to have him back as Owen now. They have like one last team up before they decide that they hate each other. What if this Obi-Wan comes looking for? He won't. I don't think he exists anymore. He died about the same time as your father. You knew my father? I told you to forget it. It's great. I like you're saying, I'm glad they're not waiting any longer. They they know what the people want. They want an Obi-Wan movie. Yep. And then after that, then they can do the Mace Window movie and the Yaddle movie, Bearded Snake Man movie, and the Evan Peel Pig Jedi Man movie. Muff Talk, the motion picture. It's what the kids want. Come on. <laughs> so as exciting that as that was, there was still a little bit of Last Jedi talk. Good. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Last Jedi. Was there Last Jedi talk or was there just Last Jedi secrets revealed through marketing? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. It seemed like there was a lot of secrets slipping out over the last few days. One of my favorite things was uh, Bresnikin Can't Stop. And in news that supposedly happened something that was said during celebration in april kathy kennedy was asked what if george lucas still had any input in the new films and she said he'll whisper in my ear every now and then and usually it's something specific or important to him about jedi training things like that it's little things just little things I wish there was a 1-900 number. It was like Lucas Whispers, like 1-900 Lucas Whispers. And you would just call it and you'd just hear George Lucas whispering secrets. I would go broke. Everybody thinks I've got, I have a lot of plaid shirts. I only have one. Secrets. Whispers. <laughs> I've been wearing it for 50 years. <laughs> it just changes colors because it just keeps getting dirtier. I, I, was, I was thinking... It'd be great if Lucas just calls up Kathy Kennedy <laughs> like 3.30 in the morning. Hey, hey, Kathy. I was thinking, uh, you know, you should, uh, should really have some dinosaur nuns on the island with Luke. It's a great idea. Yeah, call Ryan. Put him, him put it in the movie because George, George said so. And then he, he he hangs up the phone. He's <laughs> he, he then he calls back like the next night. Uh, those dinosaur nuns I was talking about. Make sure they got uh, little chicken feet. <laughs> Keep it up, Lucas. <laughs> Keep it up. Just, I like to see him put this in there. Make sure there's a big horse on Canto Bite. That's how it goes. <laughs> you know, you can't just turn genius off. <laughs> it just keeps coming out. So I feel like every single day there's more and more pictures of like leaked toys, which is crazy because Force Friday, as of recording this, like exactly two weeks away. And I don't think Hasbro has still announced officially what's going to be for sale. I don't know if they even should because, you know, there are a lot of people that go to stores and there's nothing there. So if they make false promises, they could yeah. actually make people more mad. Earlier in the week, it was kind of crazy where like three commercials were up on the Hasbro YouTube channel and they went up like at night and then by the morning they were all gone, but they were pretty cool. There was like one where it was like the force talk wristband thing and there was like a, there was a Kylo Ren figure that said like the darkness guides me, but probably the coolest one was the, this big giant playset thing. It's like this big BB-8 and it unfolds into this first order playset base thing but the coolest thing is that it comes with an exclusive three and a quarter snoke in his gold robes figure and he's giant so he may actually still be giant it's a little weird that they like instead of it being like a star destroyer that opens up i mean i guess the scale makes sense to have a giant bb8 but it's like bb8 secretly evil inside <laughs> telling us something oh but i did see the toys of the the picture of the Galactic Heroes, the little 
the little deformed little kitty figures, which I've always been a big fan of. The Luke with the giant robot hand and super gray beard, but that one, it's got me thinking too much because it shows R2 with the jets again. Is Disney man enough to put the jets back in R2? (laughs) Can they do it? I mean, why do it in the toy if it's not in the movie? That's got me uh, tossing and turning a little bit at night, thinking about R2 flying again. (laughs) On a a canoe, just thinking about R2 flying. (laughs) Your wife is looking at you, wow, it's good to see Gabe really appreciating the nature. Look at how much he's looking around. A little tear in his eye, but actually thinking about R2 flying again. Yeah, R2 flying down the river. (laughs) Got your wings back, R2. Dagobah sure is strange. Now, R2-D2, be careful. Uh Action figures each sold separately, like Luke Skywalker and new R2-D2 with sensor scope. R2, come out of there right now. Help me locate Yoda with your sensor scope. You found someone, I'd say. Your search is over, Luke. Ben Kenobi and Yoda. Learns quickly this year in July. Yoda, new R2-D2, and other action figures each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. That brings us to our main topic of the episode, Star Wars Tales comics. The amazing, super wonderful Star Wars Tales. We've talked about them on episodes in the past, but we felt like it's time to give them give them their due. Because they're not talked about enough at all. And I feel like even when they were out, they were vastly underappreciated. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like people didn't know what to think of them because they made a point of not being... I mean, they are what they are. They're like an anthology series of little short stories that don't necessarily tie into any previous issues, which is, I think, what's so great about them. But yeah, maybe just, you know, you want to read a comic and see what happens next week where this really didn't have that. In the 90s and early 2000s, they were my favorite comic book to buy. And it I remember they wouldn't come out every month. They'd come out like every couple months or sometimes even every few months. But like when a new issue of Star Wars Tales came out, it was like, oh, yes, finally. And it was usually like 64 pages for just about like four ninety five, which is like a great deal. Yeah. And it was like, what, three to five stories per issue generally, or Mm -hmm. I think on average it was four, but occasionally maybe there'd be more or less. They're my all time favorite star Wars comic series. And I would say potentially maybe even the best thing dark horse did the whole time they had the license just because they, they have the best and worst of star Wars (laughs) stories. (laughs) But in that whole, in that spectrum, it's like everything you love about star Wars is there. I mean, Star Wars in general has a very rich history with comic books. I mean, it's no secret how much of a fan of comic books George Lucas was. The license with Marvel back in the 70s, I think, was one of the very first ones they they acquired, aside from the novelization. They Like the big, oversized Marvel adaptation of the first movie, I think, was out before the first movie came out, if I'm right. I could be wrong. Yeah, the first issue of the comic adaptation was released on April 12th, a month before New Hope was released in theaters. Man, I couldn't imagine reading that in April 77. Be like, man, this is going to be the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, what's this nonsense? The The Marvel comic series ran, had a great run, uh, ended in a couple years after Return of the Jedi. And then in the early 90s, the idea of doing Dark Empire started up and originally that was going to come out through marvel but marvel decided they didn't want to do it so the project got picked up by dark horse and then dark horse got the star wars license and they had that star wars license all through the early 90s and all the way up until right after the disney sale yeah they had a good run Um, but star wars tales the first issue came out september 29th 1999 so just a few months after Phantom Menace. It ended its run July 13th, 2005, just about two months after Revenge of the Sith. 
so it pretty much lasted the whole run of the the prequel era. After Phantom Menace, there really there wasn't any other prequel era stuff. So a lot of the little shorts and things in Star Wars Tales were kind of the only little hints into the new parts of the universe that you would get. You know, and then they started to there were other man, what was the ones? Like there was the Kiati Mundi comics and there were a bunch of other kind of It was Jedi Council. Yeah. But a lot of the Star Wars Tales stuff was, you know, small little small doses of that. I can't get enough of it. And I think we've talked about like I could really wish with the standalone movies, they should have for me, I would have just called them Star Wars Tales. <laughs> That's a, a better name than Star Wars stories. And I hope at some point the movies kind of take more of this format of being a little looser with the uh, license and, you know, trying some crazy stuff and maybe having some movies that are dumb, but having some other movies that are <laughs> just super awesome. It's like we've talked about like our wishes for the, um, the standalone films. Star Wars Tales would not only pull in a huge range of different types of Star Wars stories, but especially editor Dave Land, who edited the most of the issues, he pulled in a wide range of, at the time, both mainstream comic artists and a lot of the, at the time, what was called like indie comics, independent comics, a lot of those artists who you would never think some of those men and women who you'd never think they would ever want to do a Star Wars comic, but there they were, you know, like, Doing a story about Jar Jar's father, the boat captain. Yeah. Well, and it's something, too, that they may, it's people that possibly wanted to do Star Wars, but their style was too out there that they'd never be able to support a, you know, a monthly book that, you know, it's just too weird to have month after month after month. But, you know, in a, in a little 10-page story, they could they could do it, which is great. You had folks like uh, <clears throat> Sergio Argonez from Mad Magazine, doing a bunch of stories. You had Peter David writing a bunch of stuff. Jan Dursma, who we did an interview with a while back. Uh, Garth Ennis, who was known for his work on Preacher and The Punisher, did stuff. Cam Kennedy, who did Dark Empire, came back. Killian Plunkett, who went on to work on Rebels. And Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Timothy Zahn wrote a Mara Jade story. Crazy people like Tony Millionaire did the story about Jar Jar's father. Like it was so exciting to pick up an issue of Star Wars Tales because you you literally never knew what was going to be inside and what level of Star Wars madness was going to be in there. I guess it's it's almost like it was like getting a, a grab bag or something. Like every month you're like, okay, there's a new Star Wars Tales. I don't know what characters are going to be it. I don't know if it's going to be a serious story. If it's going to be the goofiest. Goofy story. Yeah, it was like it was just so exciting to you never knew what you were going to get. And there was always at least one story where you're like, man, this is awesome. Yeah, there was almost always like one like super serious story where it's like, whoa. (laughs) Going back and looking at Star Wars Tales comics again, too, made me think a lot about like the modern obsession with canon, too, because like there's so many of these stories that are just so wildly not canon and even at the time i mean at least for me i never ever even thought about what i was reading in any books or any comics were at the time what i would call real like real being like the movies you know yeah well that was i think kind of the fun of the old expanded universes it was like it was like the minor leagues where you know (laughs) people would just come up with crazy stuff and if it if it was good and people kind of latched onto it then it would you know, like with Clone Wars and other things that would get uh, promoted up to the major leagues and be part of like the real canon movie storyline. But it's why I never like when they made the big announcement of like, you know, we're, we're rebooting all the books and that that stuff is going to become legends. I was always kind of like, so what? Well, yeah, it was never there's great books and there's great comics, but it was it was never like official. It was like what's on screen is official. So, and they even in the first couple issues, there's a little sidebar. Did you see this from PJ yeah, Mobet's Hollow Emporium? And PJ Mobet talked about how everything in his shop may not be historically accurate to kind of give viewers or give readers readers a heads up that things could get crazy. Yeah, I want to say I felt like it was like the second or third issue they had a whole – they specifically were talking about how things could happen, but 
they couldn't have they couldn't have happened too. Yeah, it was very fast and loose. Which you know, I miss that in today's Star Wars. Like I, I'm kind of over like the obsession with everything having to be canon. Like when people were talking about Galaxy's Edge and like the theme park and the Disney parks, like how that fits into canon. It's like. Come on, it's a theme park. It doesn't fit into canon. Like, yeah. are people worried that their Star Wars T-shirt isn't canon? Well, it's like uh, Star Tours. Like Star Tours is so much fun, and it w- makes no sense in canon at all. But because it doesn't care, it's why it's so awesome. Because you can go from Tatooine to Geonosis to Naboo. In there's no way that that would ever make sense in any sort of reality in any, even a, even a Star Wars reality that yeah it takes some of the fun out of it and then we may not get any just crazy wild Star Wars stories in the near future because they're kind of so hung up on canon I mean you see like some of the a lot of the material that's made for kids too for younger Star Wars fans through the books or whatever or that the Star Wars Adventures comic that's coming out or even some of the Forces of Destiny cartoon. Like, people were obsessing over how these stories fit into canon. And it's like, well, I would hate to see the creativity that could go into some of these stories be get toned down because of it not being able to fit into canon. Or ignored by a lot of the fan base because they don't want to pay attention to things that are not canon. Yeah, and I think especially with comics, like, I feel like... Star Wars, you know, it's not like Lord of the Rings where it was a book and then there's a movie adaptation and the movie's kind of a loose representation of the book. It's like Star Wars was always a visual thing. It was always a, a movie, right? And then the comics is a good way to get crazy because it's already – same with the novels. It's like it's a different medium from what the original thing is. So that's a good place to just, yeah, get wild. The comics could use a little bit more – of the wild stuff right now instead of just <laughs> sticking so close to the films. Yeah. And I'm not dissonant. I love when you read a book and like a book like catalyst, for example, that drops very interesting hints at not only when we read that, like what was going to come in rogue one, but also the clone wars and the past. And it's acknowledging things that as a star Wars fan, you know, Oh, okay. They're talking about that. I think that all that's great. And I love the big universe that they're creating where everything kind of is interconnected. I don't know. Get crazy, too. Tell things that are so far away from not being canon, they're not connected, you know? There's, well, a, there's a place for all that in Star Wars. You know, maybe they need to bring Star Wars Tales back because it's kind of, even when Star Wars Tales was on, the other Dark Horse books kind of had their own internal canon and and had some some logic to, you know, what went where and what characters met each other. So it's definitely something they could bring back of like, Hey, this is, you know, this is the playground star Wars playground here where all the rules are out the window and we're just going to have fun with stuff. Well, I hope that star Wars adventures comic that's coming out. I hope that is kind of like that. Yeah, it's a good point. Maybe that will, because that's even not Marvel, right? That's uh IDW. IDW. Yeah. <laughs> lot of old issues and we picked out some of our favorite star wars tale stories that we think you should check out now even though like the trade paperbacks are out of print from dark horse and everything there it's not that hard to find them right yeah i mean i just checked today on amazon you can get most of the trade paperbacks on amazon for not too much it's not bad it's, it's either what you would have paid for it new or maybe a little less and also i mean the wonderful marvel uh, unlimited app has all of them. So if you have that app on your iPad or on your PC, you can get to all those issues. And there's only 24 issues, so it's not like there's, you know, 300 issues you got to track down. I could imagine, too, with folks that have the Marvel Unlimited app, if you went to look up, like, some of the Dark Horse Star Wars stuff, there's just so much. Yeah, I I could totally imagine being like, where do you even start? There's a lot. (laughs) Sometimes I just look at it just to just to be overwhelmed and then i turn it off like i don't even know what to pick to even read so gabe what's what's one that stood out to you right away one of my favorites from one of the early issues is uh yaddle's tale 
So there's not a lot of uh, Yaddle stories and Yaddle comics, but uh, we got the the tragic backstory of Yaddle um, in. I want to say was the was it the first issue of Star Wars Tales? Uh, oh no no, it was uh, issue five. Okay, I take that back. So you know, it, it was a few months in. It's sad. Basically, Yaddle uh, is at the Jedi Council, basically trying to talk the Jedi Council, basically trying to talk Yoda into granting her the rank of master, even though she didn't have normal training because she was basically trapped in a cave underground by these. What are the aliens with the like one eye and the horn? And the, that's, the that's the Don Rickles alien, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, basically the the Don Rickles aliens, they have two eyes, right? Yeah. One. They have two. One they, horn, two eyes. Yeah. But yeah, the Don Rickles alien, basically they take over a planet. Yaddle's there with her master. Master gets killed. Yaddle gets captured and basically like buried in a cave for like 100 years because, you know, she's like Yoda. They live forever. It's a good one. There's not a lot of Yaddle stories, so you got to <laughs> take what you can get. If you need more Yaddle, which we all do, yeah, check out issue Number five. I got to go with one, and this is a highlight for me, and not just comics, but in life in general, something I think about every day, and that's Peter David's Skippy the Jedi Droid, which is in issue number one, and it is the tale of R5-D4, who was also known as Skippy the Jedi Droid, and he was a droid who was Force-sensitive. And he was coming to the realization that this was a very rare and special thing. And he was thinking about the plight of the universe and the good he could do as a Jedi in the time of the Galactic Civil War. He was captured on the Jawa Sandcrawler, along with R2-D2 and C-3PO, and taken to the Lars Moisture Farm. And at that very important moment, when um, we'll take that red one, he thinks about... All the things that could go wrong if R2-D2 does not get the Death Star plans to Princess Leia. And he sabotages himself because he's a Jedi. It's a selfless act so that R2-D2 can be picked. It's a common thread with all the best, I think, of the Star Wars tales is they're equally ridiculous and super like heartwarming and sweet. <laughs> At the same time, you get like a little tear in your eye. Before you laugh hysterically. I remember reading that. And it's like, it's done like, you know, if you've ever read like some of Peter David's books, I'm a colossal nerd and I've read a lot of his Star Trek books, but it's very much his sense of humor where it's completely serious and takes the fandom he's writing about really seriously. But also there's like this underlying level of like slight jokiness, you know, it's hard to describe, but. Skippy the Jedi droid is like the ultimate, in my opinion. Yeah, droid Jedi's had what midi chloroxians <laughs> in their in their in their fluid. Perfect. But yeah, right in the first issue, they're letting you know what you're in for. Honorable mention in the first issue, I think, is the one where Mara Jade dresses like a ninja and tries to fight General Maydeen, who who she thinks is hiding in the bathroom. I don't know. So again, you get the full spectrum in in uh, each issue. <laughs> The next one I have is, which I think we both agreed on, is the the death of the death of Captain Tarples. Mm. Again, the backstory of Jar Jar and Captain Tarples relationship you didn't know you wanted to read about until you read about it. All the trouble that Jar Jar gets in, and Captain Tarples is always trying to save him. I always took that too as that's how Jar Jar got banished. He's already banished. In before that story, because they're talking about, I think Jar Jar says he wants to talk to Boss Nass, and and uh, Captain Tarples is like telling him that's a bad idea, because most of it's what he, he insulted the the giant chef Gungan. <laughs> <laughs> is that what like it said? His food is no good, and he ends up knocking out Captain Tarples for protecting Jar Jar. The thing I love with the death of Captain Tarples is it's written in like super Gungan. Oh yeah, it's you have to work hard to read that one. You've got to really like sound it out in your head as you're reading it. Well, you learn uh, Captain Captain Tarple's first name too is Ruse. I don't know if that was in the novel or something, but yeah, it, it basically ends with where Jar Jar is in Phantom Menace, where Tarple's takes him to the surface and lets him loose in the woods, and basically tells him it's not a good idea to come back. I, and I had that right tied with uh, issue number twenty, the tragic tale of George R. Binks. 
I was almost hesitant to put the tragic tale of George R. of George R. Binks in there because it's almost still kind of mean to Jar Jar. The basic story is it's Jar Jar's father, who was like a sea captain. Jar Jar is like the navigator on his ship, and Jar Jar is constantly screwing everything up. And George Banks, his father, just loses all patience with Jar Jar. But what I really love about the tragic tale of George R. Banks is eventually Jar Jar's mother starts talking to George Banks about how she feels like George would have been happier if he would have married the warrior Gungan Shibla. <laughs> and there's many, many, many panels of George Binks just dreaming about Shibla and just saying to himself, Shibla, beautiful Shibla. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe it's my love for Peppy Bo, but I was just like, oh, something about like Gungan love and yeah, lost love like, among Gungans. Lady Gungans. Yeah. Well, and that one's got a, another, you know, it has a very distinct art style to it too which is fun like it's not the art style you would see in a normal star wars comic yeah and that that was um, the one that was done by tony millionaire who it's like so strange that he was doing a star wars comic but so so fantastic Another very, very serious one, um, The Secret Tales of Luke's Hand. Mm, tell us um, all which, about it. So, yeah, The Secret Tale of Luke's Hand, which was in Star Wars Tales 8. Four-year-old Anakin Solo couldn't sleep, so uh, Han agrees to tell him a bedtime story. And young Anakin asks Han what happened to Luke's hand. Han tells him a story about how Luke's hand basically is walking around in Cloud City Finds the old ship, the Millennium, the Millennium Fist, um, which is the Falcon with green gloves on the front. He goes to Hoth, fights the Wampa's arm that was cut off, goes to the Mos Eisley Cantina, fights Pondo Baba's arm, eventually fights Darth Vader's hand. Uh, and then for some reason, the Emperor is afoot. They fight. Luke's hand gets its thumb cut off. I can't resist the story about Luke's hand. I'm still, I'm still bummed that Force Awakens didn't start with the picture with Luke's hand. I'm still hoping for Luke's hand to come back. Come with me. It is the only way. So next is a story I think we can both agree on as being one of the all-time highlights of star wars tales from issue number six thank the maker yeah that's a sweet one in all the ways something can be sweet script by writer writer wingham art by killian plunkett it opens up on bespin the the empire has found 3po after being blown apart and they deliver the broken up 3po to darth vader and Darth Vader has some pretty serious flashbacks to Kid Anakin hanging out with Kitster and finding the skeletal C-3PO. As they continue to talk to Darth Vader about C-3PO and whether or not they should like go into his memory banks and get information about the Rebel Alliance, Anakin continue or Vader continues to have flashbacks of young Anakin trying to convince his mother Shmi that they should keep the droid and like Shmi's saying like if you can't take care of it then you don't deserve to have it and eventually vader's just like take the droid back to the wookiee he deserves it and vader just like storms out of the room and it also in the first flashback we get to see watto too which maybe that's why we like star wars tales so much but there's like a disproportionate amount of watto in <laughs> star wars tales like watto shows up a lot so maybe that's uh even, our uh, our memories of Star Wars Tales. Even just toy, toy Darians. Because, you know, Star Wars Tales, when it started, it started a really interesting time. Like, right after Episode 1, where finally there's stories could be told in the prequel era, but all we knew was Episode 1. Right. So as far as we do, it's all about Toy Darians. <laughs> I like issues like this where it's like, it's kind of absurd, but it's also pretty plausible. And it's like... The art's really well, like, you know, Vader has no expression, but he's drawn where he, you know, 
it's like Vader looks sad and he's holding three PO's head and kid Anakin dialogue is pretty spot on. Like mm-hmm. what yeah, I would think he would say. So is Shmi and Kitster. Yeah. Like it's, it's really well done. It's almost like uh forces of destiny too, where it's like these little scenes in between the scenes you see in the movie. It's really good. Yeah. I, I love any stories that connect, especially the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And I think this is one of the best. Yeah, it does it really well, and it takes kind of iconic scenes and gives them even more more depth. Because now when you're watching the movies, it's like, I think about this comic mm-hmm. when I watch Empire. Something that kind of went, like we were saying before with like canon, that's something that kind of was the beauty of kind of the old expanded universe, where if if you read a Star Wars story that meant that much to you or connected that much to you, then to you it was canon. And that's the most important thing versus someone saying, no, this is canon and this isn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and especially when it's the in-between things, like it doesn't, whether this happened or not, doesn't change the outcome of Empire. But if it's something that you enjoyed, it, it makes Empire that much better. So what do you have next? I have another, I think, similar to this one, Sandstorm from Star Wars Tales issue 15. So similar to that, basically Sandstorm's about 10-year-old Luke, you know, got into a fight with Owen and Beru, asking about his father. Owen grounds him, basically tells him to stay on the farm. But Luke wanders off to go meet his friends, gets trapped in a sandstorm. And in the sandstorm, basically starts having visions of a little boy named Annie who happens to be young Anakin Skywalker. And it's just kind of a discussion between the two of them talking about their lives and it kind of highlighting the parallels between the things that happened to both of them. They fight some wolves. They're like best buds. Yeah, they're like best buds. They're both a little sad, talking about their moms, talking about their dads, not having dads. A create dragon shows up. Luke fights it off. But then you kind of, it's like, what? It's almost like Wizard of Oz at the end. They basically find Luke uh, unconscious, kind of buried in the sand. And you don't know how much of it was real and how much of it was just kind of Luke seeing the force almost. When I reread the story getting ready to do this episode, I couldn't help thinking too, like, someone could take this whole idea and do the same thing like with Ray on Jakku or something, having a vision of Anakin. When yeah. Maybe when Ray was little like Anakin age on Jakku and how similar their stories were. That would be like a, you know, you'd jump right out the window reading that. So what do you have next, Jason? We got to give a special shout out to, in Star Wars Tales, the work of our friend Kevin Rubio. I think when I was reading his stuff in Tales, I at first didn't really realize that this is the same guy that made Troops. I recommend going back and listening to the Kevin Rubio interview episode that I did, I don't know, back in... Years ago. Yeah, like it's like episode (laughs) something something. But go back and find the Kevin Rubio interview because he talks about his work on Tales a little bit, but... He's got some great—he did the tag and bank stuff, and his stories in Tales are, for me, I think some of the funniest Star Wars stuff I've ever read. And usually, I'm Gabe, you know, I'm weird, and I don't like Star Wars jokes and Star Wars parodies, you know? Yeah. It makes no sense, but I just, I just don't. But I love Kevin Rubio's stuff, and his first one he did was in issue number four, and it was called A Death Star is Born. It could be, in my opinion, his funniest one. It's like it's a meeting where they're planning the Death Star. But there's some crazy stuff in it. Like, what was something that you noticed in it? Well, the thing that I noticed right away, which just made me laugh and is super kind of creepy, right, is when uh, they show the Empire stuff, the Empire symbol is the Empire symbol with Mickey Mouse Disney ears. So (laughs) it's like, I don't know if... That was uh, Rubio's idea or the or the artist, but like they were kind of they see in the future there. <laughs> There's a part two where they're trying to come up with a name for 
the um, what eventually will become the Death Star. And Tarkin's first choice of a name is the Planet Killer. The Planet Killer. That's what he called it. Planet Killer. Which all through Rogue One. That's what they call the Death Star. It's a planet killer. It's a planet killer. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I read that. I was like, holy smokes. Death Star is Born has a great gag where they go to reveal the plans for the Death Star. And at first, it's the Yogi Bear with a suitcase making a reference to the uh, the episode of the Brady Bunch that everybody knows where they're like on a vacation to a theme park. There's a lot of good part. Actually, I don't know. There's so much good stuff. Tarkin choking and Palpatine thinks Vader's doing it, but he just chokes on his coffee. Well, and a lot of the jokes in it, too, are things that I feel like later were kind of repeated in Robot Chicken. Talking about, like, the flaws in the Death Star or whatever. I don't know. I wonder how much of Rubio stuff was an influence on Robot Chicken. Yeah, I would think so, because, yeah, it kind of set the tone for that. It's like loving parody. It's... It's making fun of it, but you can tell it's making fun of it with with love and affection for the original stuff. I think I want to say he did three kind of parody things and then went into the Tag and Bank stuff, which eventually moved into their their own standalone comic mm-hmm. for a couple issues, right? Mm-hmm. So another kind of sweet, heartwarming one in Star Wars Tales, issue 10, there's one called Free Memory, which is basically the story of R2 and 3PO. R2 has an appointment basically to get a tune-up to get his memory cleaned out a little bit, and he didn't show up to the appointment. 3PO is looking for him. He basically finds him in the dark uh, playing back hologram messages, the first one being you know, the classic Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And then as 3PO is kind of explaining how cool it would be to get upgrades and have memory space freed up, um, R2 tells him about these other hologram messages he has. And there's one basically of Han apologizing for leaving everybody on Yavin and and saying if, you know, if you guys are still alive, you know, I'm sorry. There's another one basically with Leia on Hoth in the ice cave as uh, the Imperials are attacking kind of talking to Luke and thanking him for thinking of her and saving her and that they have a connection that she doesn't can't explain. And then the last one, which I think is extra good now that we've had force awakens basically with, it starts with the R2 recording Luke um, burning Vader's body and then talking about going back to the party and saying how basically uh, he wants him to come to the village to do something while they still have the chance. And kind of the last frame of the hologram is, Han and Leia and R2 and 3PO and Chewie kind of taking a family group picture together, which I thought was extra kind of heart heartbreaking mm-hmm. in, now with Force Awakens that, you know, in film we'll never actually get to see the gang together again now that Han's dead. So, But it's funny, actually, in the picture, it's like Lando's head's cut off. So <laughs> it's kind of... It's kind of fitting, too, where it's like we'll probably never get to see Lando with the group because it doesn't look like, I don't know, as far as we know yet, right? He's not coming back. So yeah. I'm a sucker for the the sweet ones. Another sweet one that I picked was um, from issue 11, The Princess Leia Diaries, which is really great. It's basically Princess Leia's diaries growing up on Alderaan. It starts when she's... A little bit younger, and it kind of goes into right before a New Hope era. But there's, you know, there's great stuff of her kind of having visions of what she imagines her mother was like from what she's been told about Padme. There's, like, her dropping a water balloon on Tarkin's head. Uh, Her kind of just being, (laughs) just in general, really rebellious around um, the Organa household as they're trying to groom her to be, like, a princess of Alderaan. But she's just not really fitting in that mold. But my favorite part in the whole thing is where she's talking about her friendship with Winter, 
which when I was reading that, I completely forgot about Winter from the old Expanded Universe. But she is talking about how she feels like part of her is missing. Like she feels a connection to somewhere else out there. And they cut to a great little panel of 10, 11, 12-year-old Luke Skywalker standing out by himself on Tatooine. It's like the free memory one. It's a very sweet, nice one that really touches the sweet spot of the uh, the original trilogy. I think there's a, I can't remember what the name of it was. There's another Leia one where it's just her and uh, Bail Organa like out on an adventure. And it's like grizzled gray hair, kind of old Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa. You know, all this got me thinking the other day. Everyone assumes Bail Organa was on Alderaan when it blew up. But was he? He's got to. Otherwise, he would have showed up in... At least in Return of the Jedi, he would have showed up. Maybe he's laying real low. Maybe he shows up. <laughs> yeah. He's Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> you really think that's a wise decision under these stressful times? <laughs> I think it's just I just want more Jimmy Smiths in Star Wars. Hey, yeah, where's our Bail Organa standalone, right? When Leia was a baby, he was probably doing all kinds of cool James Bond covert Senate stuff, right? All kinds of stuff. So maybe we'll get that instead of Obi-Wan. Like, he didn't really want Obi-Wan. You want Bail Organa movie. We we saw these two dudes hanging out by the Bail Organa banner at Sarva Celebration. <laughs> well, you know, Bail Organa could show up in the Obi-Wan movie. You know, he is his friend, the Jedi. That's true. Be in the Han movie, too. Bail Organa should show up in every Star Wars standalone movie. Should yeah. be the running theme. He can give Hana mission and say, I'm glad you're not dating my daughter. <laughs> Unfortunately, the debate is not over. The Senate will never approve the use of clones before the separatists attack. So I think we got we got one more we got to talk about. Yeah, this is basically we both love Star Wars tales, but this episode or this story basically cemented it in the all time history of our favorite Star Wars things. I've spent so much time telling people that they got to <laughs> at least just read this issue and then you can hate it and never read anything else. But you got to read Into the Great Unknown. Yes. From issue 19 of Star Wars Tales. Han Chewie on some space mission. They jump into hyperspace. They come out of it. They don't know where they are. They crash land on this planet, and they're immediately attacked by Native Americans. So we find out they're on Earth. Han is hit with multiple arrows, and Han dies very emotionally. Chewie retreats into the woods, and then we cut fast forward into the future. Who's in the woods tracking down? They're looking for Bigfoot, right? Are they, I don't know if they're are they looking for bigfoot or bigfoot's just there because I, I know the the native americans as soon as they see chewy run off they say sasquatch yeah. well it's indiana jones and indiana jones finds the crash millennium falcon goes in it and finds the skeleton of han solo and what does indiana jones say like it's all somehow familiar yeah <laughs> yeah well and short rounds with them yeah yeah so, short short rounds on this mission so short round was on the Millennium Falcon. Drop yeah, the mic. Until, case closed. Right. And until Force Awakens came along and ruined it, this was the real death of Han Solo. <laughs> I like in the comic too, you notice when they get to Earth, I think it says no longer far away. Yeah. In the in the in the little box. <laughs> the boldness to do a story like that. You know what? Like, we're gonna combine Star Wars and Indiana Jones flat out. It makes sense, plausible, right? Sure. Chewy Sasquatch, okay. Indiana Jones found the Millennium Falcon and the dead body of Han Solo. And this was, you know, what, 10 years before Crystal Skull. So kind of setting the tone. Actually, it wasn't that far. It was only, when did Crystal Skull come out? Um, 2008. So only four years before. Mm-hmm. So maybe Lucas read this and he was like, that's, that's it. <laughs> Indy needs sci-fi. But I remember reading that and just like throwing the issue on the ground and walking outside. Yeah. I already loved you, Star Wars Tales. Now I'll never forget you. For most people, archaeology means digging up old clay pots for museum displays. 
But for Indiana Jones, it meant travel and treasure and a good deal of risk. Well, if you are a fan of Star Wars Tales, let us know what some of your favorite stories are from its great run of issues. Because that's the thing, I'm sure you could probably talk to a lot of different Star Wars fans who were either reading it when it came out or have read it on the app or have the trade paperbacks. And I'm sure there are different stories that would resonate with a lot of different fans. I think even for us, there's, you know, dozens more that we would say our favorites i mean every time i go back and reread them like i find ones i forgot about I'm like oh man this is really good or this is really great it just keeps on giving <laughs> so go check them out Has so much time and technology been used just for fun by 20th Century Fox and director George Lucas? Star Wars. E.G. Parental guidance suggested. So I know we say every week with iTunes reviews to write something awesome and we'll read it on an upcoming show. And that still stands. And we have a bunch of awesome reviews. But we're going to get to those, I think, next week. Because we got a super special episode planned for episode number 88. And uh, I think at the end we'll have some time to get through some of the awesome reviews that folks have either written on iTunes. Or we've had a couple emailed to us, which were fantastic. And we've got some from the UK to read that I can't wait to share with you. Some some really great stuff and some great feedback. If you want to add your review to that after you're done listening to this episode, head over to iTunes, write something. We'll put your review right in there. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Check out lastpointspodcast.com, which I'm back from vacation, so it's getting updated again. <laughs> um, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and keep downloading the podcast. Everywhere it is. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere it could be, yeah, I think. Maybe. If it's somewhere, if it's not somewhere it should be, let us know that, too. Yeah. We'll get on that. Yeah, and share Blast Points out with your friends. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things for a podcast is word of mouth. So if you got friends who are Star Wars fans, tell them they need to listen to Blast Points. And if you hated it and you have friends you hate, tell your friends you hate to listen to it as, <laughs> as you know, revenge. <laughs> so that about wraps up number 87 here. Thanks for listening. Thanks. It will be back next week for episode 88. Ooh, what could it be? Yeah. See if you can figure it out. <laughs> so, until then, thanks, folks. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you.
This is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. If they find us, they will crush us, grind us into tiny pieces and blast us into oblivion. Come here, my little friend. May the 